0: Hey welcome to Rockbridge. My name is Matt. I want to welcome you at all six of our physical locations. Those of you watching online, you know as we were watching that, uh, that video, I uh, want to let everybody know we've got a team of people leaving uh, for Guatemala to do some mission work. We have a team of people that are, are headed down to the South Georgia Valdosta area to uh, help with some uh, d- disaster relief and recovery from Hurricane Idalia that swept through the big bend of Florida and came across southern Georgia and and did some damage. So we get to live sent. If you're giving to Rockbridge, you automatically are helping send the message and the love of Jesus. So thank you for giving. I ask you all to pray about that. And then also, when you invite someone to church, when you live sent and show the character, the love of Jesus, share the gospel of Jesus, you're also acting as a missionary. And that's part of our sentness as God's people. So we just want to celebrate that. Thank God for letting us be a part of sharing the only way to die, and the best way to live by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, so we're in this series called The Crown. We're navigating through 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 7 today. And listen, the whole time we've been talking, if you've been tracking with this series, there has been a string of defeats, death, disaster, destruction, all because of the the terrible... Uh, spiritual condition of the people of Israel. And it it sort of kind of can be a little bit depressing, and we've wrestled with why is this stuff in the Bible, and why is the Old Testament showing this? We've answered some of those questions. But today in chapter 7, we're actually going to get victory. And, and, and here's what I know, even if you're not like a spiritual person, you're new to church you're, or new back to church or kicking the tires of faith and Christianity, one, we're glad you're here. But here's what I know about all of us, Christians, non-Christians, et cetera, et cetera, is we all like to win, right? We, I mean, we want our team to win. Maybe yours did, maybe yours didn't this past weekend. We want to win at life. We want to win at work. We want to win in our relationships. We love to win in stuff, and we love to win I mean, that's a big deal to us, and it's it's even a bigger deal because we're in America, and we like to win things, right? Well, we're going to see victory in 1 Samuel chapter 7, and we're going to learn from it. We're going to learn from it. And here's the amazing, awesome, incredible thing about being a Christ follower is that victory for the Christ follower has been purchased by God, promised by God, and provided by God. And there's ultimate victory, and then there's some intermediate victories as well, right? L- listen to just the Word of God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans eight thirty seven. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. That means like running up the score kind of victory through Him, Jesus, who loved us. Now, here, here's the challenge, though, okay? That victory for the Christ follower is purchased and promised and provided but it must be pursued. We must position ourselves and pursue the victory that God has promised, purchased, and provided. We do that, 1 John 5, 4 says, this is the victory that has conquered the world. Our faith, that faith is a verb. Faith is pursuing all that God has for us in his son Jesus, all that God has promised for us in and through his inspired word. Faith is pursuing God. Faith is a verb. Okay, so again, we all like to win. Some of us are here this weekend because maybe we're hoping that Christianity can help us win in our lives. And that, that's not a bad pursuit, that's not a bad thought. Some of us are here and, and, and you know, we want to win in an area that we're losing. Some of us are here and we want to know, okay, God, you promise us some amazing things, but how do we get them? How do we pursue them? How do we receive them? Sometimes, and we've wrestled with this for six, seven chapters, right? Sometimes God seems distant. Sometimes God seems absent. Sometimes God allows terrible, bad things to happen to his people that look like loss and look like defeat. And so, how do we go suddenly here in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 7, and get into this whole victory thing? And and this is why some of us, and that's why I want us to lean in this weekend, this is why some of us will miss the victory God has for us. Because in Christianity, victory does not always feel like, seem like, or look like victory. And so, we're going to uncover five aspects of victory that Jesus has promised, purchased, and provided we have to pursue. And when these things, when we're pursuing victory these ways, it's not always going to look, seem, or feel like victory, but it is the path through which we pursue the victory that's ours in Christ from the Lord. Now, here's going to be the challenge, okay? The victories we want that are sort of the worldly victories that make us feel good about ourselves, the self-esteem victories, the victory of achievement, the victory of accomplishment, the victory of human praise and human approval and attaboyisms and and the scoreboard of life, you know, of what people say about you and what you have. And man, if I'm winning with people, if I'm winning in my possessions, uh, those kind of victories are not the kind of victories that we have in Christ. But we would say that the victory we have in Christ is the best victory there is. And the ones that we should be pursuing are the victories, the graces that he has provided. So let's get underneath what it looks like to win in Christ, what it looks like to receive victory. So we pick up where we left off last week. The ark of the Lord has come to the people of kiriath Jerem. They take it to a guy's house, Abedendab, and they consecrated his son, Eliezer, to take care of it. He was set apart. He stepped in and aligned himself with the holiness of God. And so what happens is 20 years pass. The ark has been in this place, kiriath Jerem, for 20 years. And then something happens. Something happened, and this is sort of the, the revival, this is awakening, this is an intensification of spiritual vitality. Okay, The whole house of Israel longed for the Lord. Some translations, the whole house of Israel began to seek the Lord. They began to seek God. Relationally, devotionally, with their affections, they began to look to the Lord. Now, it strikes me as important that for 20 years, they had a less than victory. For 20 years, they were not receiving the fullness of what God had won for them. And, and isn't that true of us, right? That we are capable for actually settling for less and receiving less than God has won for us. Like, if you're not yet a Christ follower, God has something for you that is eternally satisfying, but you have not yet received it until you give Jesus your sins and the steering wheel of your life. You might have become a Christian as a little kid, but you've never moved past that initial victory of salvation to receive more of the fullness of what God has for you. So we're capable of settling for less. For 20 years, the ark, was in one guy's house. One guy was consecrated to the Lord, and Samuel is just preaching the word faithfully. But something happened. We can't explain it. And at year 20, the people are like, we need to get serious about seeking the Lord. Now, if you're not seeking the Lord, longing for the Lord in this way, what are you doing? Well, you're a status quo Christian. You're a status quo Christian. Maybe, maybe you're like, well, at least I'm not going to hell. At least I'm not like those other people. But the deep joys, the spring of living water that welling up inside of us that Christ promises followers, status quo. Status quo. You know, I'm comfortable with what I got, even though what I have is not all that God has won for me. Maybe you're a nominal Christian. That means, in name God only. You know, you you sort of look like a Christian, but it's name only. There's nothing beneath the surface. Maybe you're an ornamental Christian where it's part of your life. It decorates your life, but it's not your life, if you know what I mean. Maybe you're a sentimental Christian where you can talk about God in the past tense, what God did for you, what God showed you And it's all past tense. Man, I was on fire for the Lord in my first marriage. I was on fire for the Lord when I was out of college. I was on fire for the Lord in my 30s. And then what's happened? It's more of a past tense than a present tense and a future hope. Faith. Faith. And so we can identify with where Israel was, but here they come around, and they suddenly, after 20 years, they're going to seek the Lord. And here's the kicker. They're not going to seek the Lord for what He can do. They're going to seek the Lord for who He is. And that is the key to personal revival in your spiritual journey. That is the key to receiving more of the victory that God has for you. That is, the, if we're ever to see revival in the church in, in, in Northwest Georgia, the Tennessee Valley, the Chattanooga region, United States it will be because enough of us say I am going to quit seeking the Lord for what he can give I am going to seek the Lord for who he is and that's the decision after 20 years Israel makes in this little location called Mizpah so Samuel steps into this and he says okay if you are returning to the Lord. Notice the condition, if. That's a big if. So in other words, it's not enough to give lip service. Oh, I'm, I'm returning to the Lord. Samuel says, let's, let's be sure you are if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart. And then he's going to put something out here for them to do. And, and that's where we get scared, right? Because all means all in Hebrew. Right? And if means if. But what Samuel is alluding to is the first piece of victory from the Lord. doesn't require perfection. They they had to return to the Lord, which means they were not (coughs) living right. So they weren't perfect, but it does require, I'm going to introduce a word, we don't say it a lot anymore, but earnestness about the Lord. Seriousness about our faith. Seriousness about who God is, what God has said, and what God has revealed. And now we can take each of these five attributes or contributors to victory that we're going to reveal this weekend. We can take these and also say this is why some of us miss the victory of God because we're trivial, we're casual, we're complacent, we're apathetic about our faith, not earnest about our faith. And so why are we missing things that God has won? Because we treat God as trivial, as occasional, as seasonal, as opposed to being zealous, diligent, and earnest about our faith. I don't know what earnestness looks like to you. I don't know what it looks like always but I do know it means we are suddenly looking to God in a way we haven't looked to God in a long time or at any point in our time here on, on earth. It's when we come to church, you know, and, and we've got open Bibles and we're taking notes. It's when we're serious about our, our attendance at church, our obedience. It's when worship and the Lord's Supper are not boxes to check, but they're expressions of inward earnestness about the Lord Almighty. And then there's a promise because this is the kind of people God's looking for. Not perfect people, but His eyes are looking to show Himself strong, that's a victory term, for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to Him. All right, so if you're serious, Israel, if you're serious, Rockbridge, if you're serious, Matt, Here's the first step. Here's what Samuel says. If you're returning the Lord with all your heart, get rid of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths that are among you. These are idols. Set your hearts on the Lord and worship only, exclusively Him. Then He will rescue you from your Philistines. But let's get the spiritual right before we even talk about the military. Uh, Let's get our theology right before we talk about our situation and our circumstances. So the Israelites, this is how you see their earnestness, because they lived, these idols had been around them for 20-plus-plus-plus years. These things that they just had grown accustomed to that were part of their lives. They didn't even notice, they didn't even think that that bothered God or offended God or grieved God. But suddenly they start seeking God with earnestness. And it's just like, okay, so they get rid of, they remove the bales and the asterisk, and only worship the Lord. And we've been using this fill in the blank to kind of illustrate the dynamic of 1 Samuel. Of, and it's our dynamic as well. Hey God, if you would just give me this, I would have greater happiness, greater security, and greater identity. So what has happened in Israel is they've put inside this blank asterisk and Baals, right? And that's just become part of their equation for happiness, security, and identity. And then they've grown accustomed to those things, and it's just kind of part of their deal. Whereas you might say, hey, I've got a relationship with God, but man, i got to have sex with my girlfriend even though we're not married. Man, I've got a relationship with God, but I'm not going to give God 10%. I'm not going to tithe because I need more money if I'm going to be happy, secure, and, I, and be okay. And we could just go on and on and on and on and on. And eventually we'd hit something that, effect, that, that all of us could say, oh, okay, that's mine. And what you see happening in Israel is they are so serious about God that they're willing to take whatever they've put in this blank and get rid of it. And seek the Lord. Because successful seeking is unconditional seeking. That gets nervous, right? Successful seeking is unconditional seeking. Successful seeking goes beyond just devotional moments and they become a movement of obedience. See, here's the challenge that I think a lot of us have, especially in the West or in the United States, okay? We think Christianity is for reinforcing our lifestyles, our economics, our politics, our pleasures. Christianity is not for reinforcing a lifestyle. It's for pursuing the person of the cross, Jesus, and the path of the cross. And the path of the cross does not look, feel, or, th- or seem like victory because Jesus on the cross looks like defeat. Jesus on the cross is humility. Jesus on the cross is radical, self-sacrificing love. Jesus on the cross is servanthood. Victory in our culture is not being being a servant, it's being in power. Victory in our culture is self-esteem, pride, ego, selfie, narcissistic. Victory in our culture does not look like the Son of God hanging bloodied on a cross, but victory for the Christ follower will always be Christ-centered, Christ-dominant on the path of the cross. And so, you see this second component of victory emerging in Samuel's instruction to get rid of these things. And we see that victory is for, here's the word, repentant. Repentant. Tertullian, an early church author, an early church father, had this to say. He goes, I was born for no other end but to repent. Repent. I was born, but for no other end, to repent. So when repentance means I'm getting tough on myself, I'm getting tough on sin, I'm getting tough on Satan. Tough on self, sin, and Satan. No more accommodating. Repentant, I agree, I acknowledge I'm wrong. I agree, I acknowledge I'm moving in the wrong direction. I'm going to turn, and I'm going to pursue God. And I am going to hate the rivals in my life to God and get rid of them if that's what it takes. Again, does repentance feel like victory? Because coupled with repentance is contrition, Coupled with repentance could be shame and guilt. Coupled with repentance could be di- divine discipline or consequences. Coupled with repentance could be correction. That's, it's like non-self-esteem. And many of us, the only victory we know is anything that boosts our ego, boosts our pride, boosts our self-esteem. That's not the victory God has for us. So Samuel, as he sees their seriousness and their, their, their repentance as they get rid of the, ba- the ba- ba- Baals and the Ashtoreths, he says, hey, let's call an assembly. He says, gather all of Israel at Mizpah. I will pray to the Lord on your behalf. When they gathered at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out in the Lord's presence. Not all, a lot of people know, understand what this means. I, I think the, the, probably the, the safest landing part of what this means is they pour out the water to say, we're emptying ourselves of ourselves so we can be filled more with the Lord. That's probably the safest and clearest interpretation. So they fasted on that day. They're going to fast for something they need To remind themselves of their need for the Lord God. Fasting, by the way, is a way to show the Lord your earnestness for Him and about Him. And there they confessed. Confession is not great for self-esteem. We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the Israelites at Mizpah. This word judge is going to come up four times in our text, three in the last three verses, but here it is. Instruction, correction, reproof, providing of wisdom. It's a fairly comprehensive term in this context. Now, what's interesting also about repentance, and let's not miss this, okay? We have sinned against the Lord. There's no laundry list of all the sins. I mean, we've seen a bunch of them in chapters 1 through 6, and we've covered those in the previous parts of this series called The Crown. We've seen, you know, hey, they had idols, right? We've seen all that, but, but they just, they just kind of get, quit getting specific, and they come and say, hey, we've just sinned against the Lord. So here's what's going on, okay? Eventually... Repentance becomes less and less about the specific sin or sins and the associated guilt, shame and consequence. And it just becomes more about returning to God as our first love and returning to God as our highest treasure. You see, the, the symptom is the asterisks and the bales. The symptoms are the behaviors of the, the sinful behaviors, but the disease, is we've just abandoned the Lord as our first love. So, so I think we need to talk about this in the, in the context of our fill in the blank, okay? Because look, let's just say what you've put in the blank, you realize you got to get rid of, or you realize it's become, it's a good thing, but it's become a God thing, which is a bad thing. It's competing, it's rivaling God. Let, let's just, like, what's in your blank right now is a sin, okay, and, and you're alert to that, you're awakened to that, you understand that, okay, so here, here's the challenge, right, we can be so focused on, on this, this sin that we have to get rid of, or the guilt and the shame of this sin, that we lose Godwardness, that we lose the, the, the understanding of God in the first love, so, so what's happening in, at Mizpah, and this is why it's revival, is they're like, okay, It's we have just hurt God. We've left our first love. And and that shows us that, like, the path to winning over sin is to fall more in love with God than you love your sin. And that's what's happening. When they say they long for the Lord, they're willing to get rid of things that have become part of their lives if it competes with first love for Jesus. And that's getting into the depth of repentance. It's not just I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for the consequences that that have come into my life because of what I've done. It's I'm returning to God as my first love. Now, this is why victory in the Christian walk doesn't feel like, look like, or seem like victory in anything else. Because everybody wants victory through affirmation. But God offers victory through rebuke. Samuel judged the people. And correction that leads to repentance. How many of us are like standing in line, hey, rebuke me, correct me? Nobody. Nobody. I mean, even the Bible even says that people will go to hear preachers who tell them what they want to hear or tickle their ears, is the phrase. Let's make us feel good about ourselves. That's not the path to victory. Now, this this leads us to a third component of Christian victory because they came together at Mizpah as a community under the authority or the teaching, rather, or the judging of Samuel. And victory, Christian victory, comes through, in, and with spiritual community. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. Now, think about it. Think about the, rise, the, the decline of church membership, the decline of church attendance. It was happening before COVID. It certainly accelerated because of COVID. Think about the number of people who say, I don't need the church. I got my beliefs and I have my personal relationship with God. You're settling for less than what God has provided and won for you. You're settling for less. But think about it. Most Americans want individual victory. Most Americans want to win in their life. It's a me-centered Christianity, not the we Christianity that Jesus created. I will build my church, he says, and the gates of Hades will not overpower. it. So my church will not be defeated. So if I'm not a part of his church, I'm missing some victory, right? And then Ephesians 4 talks about it this way. Their responsibility, the responsibility of church leadership, is to equip God's people to do His work and build up His church, which is indefeatable, indestructible, the body of Christ. He makes, God makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So, Christian victory, yes, God saves us individually, but He puts us into a bigger family, a bigger unit called the church. And so, this is why being a part of the church, a contributing part of the church, an engaged part of the church is so powerful. This is why, you know, we revamped our membership. And, 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 hey, membership is not somebody's going to preach my funeral when when I die. Membership is someone's helping me walk with Jesus in victory as I live. And there's grace to be had inside the body of Christ. And everything is by grace and from grace, so victory is a part of grace. Grace gives victory. So I want as much grace as I can have. I'm a maximist, not a minimalist. Now, I want to say this to our church, and I'm speaking to Rock Bridgers. You know, we have a little bit of a challenge right now in that we have a lot of people uh, coming and engaged, and we don't have enough what we call bridge builders or people serving. Every campus, I I, I had had a look at this this past week, every campus has needs, meaning we we have places for people to serve and not enough people willing to serve. And I just want to call us back by the Word of God. I don't want anybody to feel guilty right now, but I want to call us back and say, listen, the leadership of the church equips God's people to do His work and build up the church. As each part does its own special work, that means individual me's at Rockbridge have a special work to help the other parts, the, the we, grow so that the whole body, the we, is healthy and growing and full of love so that the whole church is winning as Jesus promised. So let's just see and understand that. And I don't want anybody to miss the fullness of victory because we're minimizing the role of God's church in our lives. Now back to our story, 1 Samuel 7. When the Philistines heard that the Israelites had gathered at Mizpah, their rulers marched up toward Israel. When the Israelites heard about it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. Here's the nemesis, the Philistines. But they don't do this. Chapter 7 parallels chapter 4 or contrasts with chapter 4. In chapter 4, they came up with their own strategy it was go get the ark, right? Let's fight with the ark. In chapter 7, because they're more interested in who God is, they have a different strategy. And this is through this they say to Samuel, don't start crying out to the Lord our God for us, he will save us from the Philistines. Their strategy in chapter 4 is religion. Their strategy in chapter 7 is dependence upon God through prayer. Now, there's two cautions for us. Because all of us have Philistines in our lives. Enemies. Opponents. Obstacles. And barriers. And if we're not careful... We think that's really our biggest problem. So so the two cautions are this. First, don't blame the Philistines. A lot of people in America, especially Christians, we're blaming a political party or a politician or a special interest group that may be sanctioning non-Christian things or things that we know are abhorrent to the Lord. But we want to blame. But let me just say this. Judgment begins inside of the church, not outside of the church. Begin within, don't blame those outside. God is more agitated by sins in and among His people than He is by sins being committed by non-Christians. Because non-Christians don't have Christ. Non-Christians don't have the Holy Spirit. Non-Christians don't have the refiner's fire. The church does. So don't blame anybody. Begin inside and say, God, search me, know me, purify me, find me seeking you, find me repentant. And then don't fixate on the Philistines. Look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. Because number four, victory comes through desperate dependence. Now, when you feel desperate, you don't feel victorious, do you? That's why why some of us miss Christianity or miss the victory of Christianity because we we want to do anything at all but feel desperate. But I would suggest the more desperate you feel for your need for God and His grace and His victory, the closer you are to actually receiving that victory. So look what Samuel does. He takes a young lamb lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. So he kills something. A sacrifice which points us to an ultimate sacrifice, Jesus. That's of course later on. He cried out to the Lord on behalf of Israel. He intercedes, and the Lord answered him. And Samuel was offering the burnt offering. <coughs> excuse me. As the Philistines approached to fight against Israel, the Lord thundered loudly against the Philistines that day and threw them into such confusion they were defeated by Israel. Then the men of Israel charged out of Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, striking them down all the way to a place below Beth-kar. Afterwards, Samuel took a stone, set it upright between Mizpah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer, which means a stone of help, a stone of help, explaining the Lord has helped us to this point. So God has been helping us, fighting for us, working with us up to this point in our history. And so with that, we begin to see desperate dependence, what it comes from. One, the blood of another. It took the blood for the prayers of Samuel to be heard. It takes the blood of Jesus for our prayers to be heard. So we are dependent upon the blood of Jesus. It's like if you've ever been to Arlington National Cemetery up in Washington, D.C., and you see all the tombstones in white or watch the changing of the guards at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers, you can't help but be affected by that and, and, and have a, a sense of patriotism, but a sense of gratitude for the shed blood of our soldiers and sailors and airmen and Marines for the freedom we enjoy in America. How much more then does the blood of the only Son of God cause us to have gratitude because it's that blood that allows us to go to God in desperate dependence and be heard by God, who then appropriates victory to us through the desperate prayer of his people, which you see Samuel offering for them. And then our desperate dependence is also dependent upon the ongoing ever faithfulness of God to his people. Up to this point, Samuel says, God's been with us. And you say, well, what about when they got beat in chapter 4? Sometimes defeat opens us up for for grace and mercy. Sometimes defeat is necessary to show us that it's not about us or we can't do it apart from God. So even defeats then become victory, such as the glory and the grace of God. story continues. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel's territory again. The Lord's hand was against the Philistines all of Samuel's life. And that is a good thing, but it also points us to a problem. The problem is this. Samuel is finite. Samuel is eventually fragile. Samuel will eventually go the way of all the earth. And so it points to the need... For not a human leader, but an eternal leader. And he's coming. The cities from Ekron to Gath, which had been taken for Israel, were restored. Victory. Israel even rescued their surrounding territories from Philistine control. Victory. There was also peace between Israel and the Amorites. Victory. It didn't feel like victory. It didn't seem like victory. didn't look like victory. But that's the way of victory. Summation, Samuel judged Israel throughout his life. Every year he would go on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah and would judge Israel at all these locations. Then he would return to Ramah because his home was there. He judged Israel there and he built an altar to the Lord there. So the revival, the awakening, the victory came at Mizpah, but it spread, and Samuel experienced preaching and judging of the people at these other locations. He kind of was like a circuit-riding preacher going to different locations, sharing the word of the Lord. And it teaches us the final thing, okay? Victory is maintained, protected, and maximized by the ongoing pursuit of God. That Samuel had to keep preaching, instructing, correcting, rebuking, inviting, earnestness and repentance, bringing the people together in spiritual community, in desperate dependence to maintain the victory perfect protect the victory, and maximize the victory. It means when church service is over, church is not over. We continue as people of faith throughout the week. It means when I have my prayer time, close my Bible, I am still pursuing the Lord with, with my mindset and with my heart. It means we don't just live for the ecstatic moments of, of obvious victory, but we also have to win in the valley, win in the mundane, win in the monotony through the habits of victorious people. Victorious people are earnest. They are repentant. They are desperately dependent. And they are in community with the people of God to preserve and protect and maximize the victory God has won for us in Christ. So here's our four invitations or our four opportunities to respond. Would you check your present pursuit? Everybody came in here, you're pursuing something. Are you pursuing the Lord for who he is? Would you put the presence of God first? God, I want who you are before I seek what you can do. Would you just give God a prayer of permission? God, I give you permission. Tell me what to get rid of. Search me, God. It's not about me, my self-esteem, my ego, my pride. Just you have permission, God. And then take a step on the path of victory. We pray together. God, for everybody here today, you have a victory for them. May we not miss it, God, because your victory looks different than the world's. But may we position our hearts, our minds, our souls, our bodies right now to receive from you. Earnestness, repentance, in biblical spiritual community, in desperate dependence, and ongoing pursuit of you through your word, by your spirit, among your people. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.